share with you uh, just a really quick story about a dear old lady um, who was not a cook. And so obviously times like Thanksgiving and Christmas and times like that were not a very good time for her because <laughs> she just wasn't a cook. But the family decided that after many, many years, they would eat at home for Thanksgiving dinner. And so the mother uh, wanted to give a little speech before she brought the food out. And so she said, sat her family down and she said, I've cooked this turkey for the first time and I'm going to bring it to the table. If it's not good, don't say a word. If it's not good, there will be no negative comments. We'll just go to a restaurant and have a meal. So the family kind of like, okay, we got it. So with that, she turned, walks into the kitchen and goes and gets the turkey. She returns to the dining room to see her husband and kids with their shoes on, hats on and jackets on, ready to go. Uh, thank you for laughing. I'm sure this isn't true for any of you here, but I just want to say that should we see each other later on in a restaurant, that it wasn't because of the cooking. Amen? All right. <laughs> Let's just make sure we have that in place. Um, someone has said, gratitude is an offering precious in the sight of God, and it is one that the poorest of us can make and not be poor but richer for having made it. What a beautiful statement. That gratitude is this incredible thing that when we give it, we actually become richer as a result of doing so. Now, I don't know if this is true for you, but I know this is true for me. But, uh, you know, my personal experience is that the more I have, you know, the more I, I possess, the more I have, often the more ungrateful or the less thankful I actually become. If I go to a store, for example, and I experience exceptional service often my thought isn't man I am so thankful for the amazing service I got often my thought is well this is how it should be right I know you're like me I know you're like me you're like that's the way it should have been all the time and then when you come back to that same store sometime later and now the service isn't quite what it was the last time instead of being thankful for how amazing the service was last time you are frustrated and I'm frustrated because the service is no good and instead of being thankful we're often miserable okay our obsession with conveniences our obsession with advancing our obsession with speed with constant access etc 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 is robbing us of our gratitude think about that for a moment this obsession with better Better, 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 you know, the latest, the latest, you know, whatever it is. It is robbing us of our gratitude. Think about this for a moment. We live in a culture, we live in a, a society that doesn't relish in what we have. You ever thought about that? We don't really relish what we have. We are constantly looking for the next best thing. Let me, let me give you an example. We're all, we're all guilty of this. I would dare to say that probably zero of us, a very few of us at least, woke up this morning and the first thing on our minds was, we have hydro, we have running water, we have heat, we have a toilet in the house. Now when, think about that for a moment. Why do we have these things in our houses? But we have toilets in our houses and, or in our house and, and, and the other thing is I bet you none of us were like, Oh boy, I better get up because I got an hour walk to church. 
or we were thinking to ourselves, I wonder if there will be church because of the danger that was of, you know, there last week or whatever it might be. See, we don't relish in what we have. And this is true with everything. This is true whether it's in relationships. This is not just, uh, you know, material things, but, but often, like, we may not relish the relationships that we have. You know, if you still have your, you know, husband and wife, you're still together, and maybe there's some tension, but my goodness, if you're still together, just relish in the fact that we're married, and our kids are healthy, and whatever it might be, we so often do not take time to just be grateful and and express gratitude for all that we have. I want you to just imagine this for a moment, and for the techie people here, I need to warn you. It's just an example, okay? You don't need to get all twitchy and worried, because it's just an example But just imagine for a moment if phone companies would come out and say, we are not making any new phones for two years. You see why I warned all you techie people? You know, it's just an example, okay? Relax, teenagers, it's okay. There's going to be a new one. But imagine for a moment if a tech company like phone companies would say, for two years we're not going to make any new products. Be grateful for what you have. Here's the reality. Many of us and many, many people in our society would actually feel wronged. Because it's this constant, constant need to improve, to have better, to expect new and better. And with that, we have lost our gratitude for what we already have. The Bible has a lot to say about being thankful. And I want you to turn in 1 Thessalonians, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, if you have the version app, you can also follow along there in the events, you'll find our church. But the Bible says quite a bit about being thankful, and it, and it doesn't say, you know, if you want to be thankful, you can be, you know, if you choose to be good for you, it, it's often said in the form of commands. And that's definitely true in this passage that we're going to look at today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, he starts by saying, rejoice always. Verse 17, pray continually. Verse 18, give thanks. Now, if we would just stop for a moment and say, I'm going to make those six words part of my daily, you know, approach to life, we would suddenly, I think, have a very different outlook on life. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks. And he goes on, in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm not going to ask you to repeat those words to me, but just... Those six words, focus on that for a moment. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks. Again, rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks. It's almost like as I'm saying it, I can feel myself changing in my approach to life. So I want to challenge you and all of us to really consider using these six words and just applying them to our lives and not just saying them to ourselves, but actually doing what Paul commands here. These brief commands indicate the basis for Christian living. They are quite general and would apply to any group of believers. Christians have grounds for joy in both their experiences of salvation and their hope for what God will do in the future. However, we can't just say, We have grounds for being thankful. We have grounds for being joyful. We need to express that joy. Joy isn't just something we should, yeah, we have, oh, we have so much to be joyful for. Then express that joy. The other thing we are to do is we Christians are to pray. 
We are to make our requests known to God continually. And we are to give thanks in all circumstances. Now if you look at these you know, three commands, these six words, what you're going to see that there is one common thread that goes through all of them. We are, this is something that is supposed to be on an ongoing basis. We are, we don't rejoice only when things are going well. We don't pray only when a crisis hits. We don't, you know, we don't just give thanks only when life is good to us. These three commands are to be part of our ongoing life. Our Christian life is to be marked by an ongoing expression of joy, prayer, and gratitude. Easy to do? No, absolutely not. Is it going to happen on its own? Of course not. We need to be intentional about how we live our lives as believers. I want you to meet Jan Gazerpski. I'm going to get it. Gazerpski. There we go. Polish name. Not the name I use every single day. Gazerpski. There we go. Back in 1988, um, he got hit by a train. And he almost died. But, not, but he obviously didn't. Not completely. He was almost, almost dead. For 19 years, he was in a coma. 19 years. He awoke in 2007 to a whole new world. Sounds like a song. Anyway, moving on. 19 years earlier, Poland was a, it was a communist state. Gazebski noted that, that back then meat was rationed. And there were huge lineups for gas stations. And he said there was only tea and vinegar in shops. 19 years later, when he wakes up, he awoke to a free nation. And there were people on the streets with their cell phones. And there were so many good things, he said, in the shops that it makes my head spin. But he noticed something, and it puzzled him. Even though all these good things had changed, he noticed this. And he says, what amazes me is that all these people who walk around with their mobile phones, and yet they never stop moaning. These people had freedom and food and wealth greater than Poland had experienced for decades. But Grzebski woke from his coma to find that all they seemed to want to do was grumble. And so the lesson here is obviously that if you don't get in the habit of giving thanks for what you have, we will become ungrateful because of what we don't have. And I think this is an important lesson for every single one of us, that if we don't take time to express joy and to pray and to give thanks for the good that we have we will become you know ungrateful people the christian life is to be filled with gratitude colossians chapter 3 verses 13 says you know and i'll read it a little bit but i want you to notice something every single one of these verses at the end of it paul ties gratitude or being thankful into it so listen verse 15 let the peace of christ rule in your heart since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you admonish and as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. To God the Father through him. Paul clearly ties gratitude and being thankful into the heart of what it means to live the Christian life. 
I think verses 15 is kind of a favorite verse among many Christians, but it's often, often misused. Christians like it for it is claimed, they believe it, it means that Christ's peace will act as an umpire within our hearts, giving us some sort of private or inward peace of the soul when we are in need of guidance. So people will sometimes say, like, I just need the peace of God to come over me and, and sort of, you know, give me peace about the decisions that I've made. That's not what this verse is saying. The peace of Christ does not here refer to a private or inward peace of the soul. Instead, it is a, the peace of Christ that, that Christ embodies and brings, and it is tied directly to salvation. Furthermore, it's not about Christ's peace guiding us. Okay? This is not about you know, the, the peace of Christ guiding us. Rather, his peace, it says, is to rule our hearts. The salvation that Jesus offers is to guide our lives. He is to control every area of our lives as we relate to one another. This is the peace that we are called to have. Paul ends verses 15 by telling the church to be thankful. And I think what Paul is doing here is he's recognizing that churches are possibly going to begin to take their salvation for granted. So this peace of Christ that is to rule our hearts, the salvation that is to rule our hearts, I think Paul is saying at the end of that, he said, oh yeah, and don't forget to be thankful for it. Because eventually, like so many other things in our lives, if we are not thankful for what Christ has done in our lives, we will actually become ungrateful for our salvation and take it for granted. And so Paul says, he recognizes that the only way that we will never take our salvation for granted is by expressing thankfulness for it. And being thankful. Verse 17, uh, 16, Paul moves the conversation along and outlines how the gospel message is to be central to everything we do. This message, so, so, uh, the salvation message that Jesus gave us is not meant to be kept to ourselves. Paul says that this message is to dwell among us. Think about that for a moment. I love that word dwell. It implies that the message of Jesus is to constantly be present. The gospel of Jesus is to have its gracious and glorious way in our lives, both individually and as a community. And you will notice that again, Paul incorporates the concept of being grateful and thankful. As we live our gospel dwelling lives, we are to do so with gratitude in our hearts, sharing the message of Jesus cannot and is not to be done grudgingly. Think about it for a moment. If you would go and try to share the message of Jesus, but you are the most miserable person, people are going to look at you and say, that is the last thing I want. Maybe the message sounds good. Maybe the theology makes sense. Maybe all of that you've shared makes sense. And you're like, yep. Yeah. People are like, yeah, I understand what, I, what you mean. I understand what you're saying. But if it makes me as miserable as you, I don't want it. So we're to have the presence of Christ, the peace of Christ, dwelling in our lives. And then in verse 17, Paul makes it very clear that the gospel is to dwell in every area of our lives. Just in case someone maybe assume that, you know, this is to be done only within the church, Paul speaks to the church and he says, whatever you do, and if that isn't detailed enough, he makes it clear that there are no exceptions. He says, in whatever you do, whether in word or deed... We are to be guided by one simple goal, to do it all in the name of Jesus Christ. As followers of Christ, as a church, as, 
as a, as a congregation. Jesus is to be the dominant theme of our lives. Jesus is to be the dominant theme of our lives. He is to be at the very heart of all we do. He is to be center at who we are. So here at Deer Church, you've heard me say it even just this morning already. We try to wrap this all into our mission statement. And so we believe that Jesus is truly at the heart of all we do. And so we believe that as a congregation, our mission is to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. We didn't make that up. We didn't write that. We borrowed. We stole whatever you want to say. We just took that from, an, from other churches who are already using it. Why? Because we're like, this speaks to our language. We understand what this means. We want to see people come to know Christ, to surrender their lives to him completely. And over the years, we have seen God transform many, many hearts. That's why we're here. That's what we're about. That, and the more that that happens, the more grateful we become. As we see people's hearts being transformed, we begin to you know, recognize that his work and his salvation is still applicable to people today. And when you see that happening, joy is a natural result. We praise God for what he's doing and we believe that the best is yet to come. But here's what's important for you is that, and all of us is that this does not happen on its own. We must be intentional. We must strive towards fulfilling our mission, and we want every ministry within our church to focus on this. So a couple of years ago, we really wrestled with, like, so how do we do this? How do we take all of our ministries and, and, and sort of encourage them and lean them into our mission statement? How do we make sure that ministries aren't just like, yeah, we know the, we know the mission statement, but our values are this, and we're going to focus on our values and not you know, necessarily focusing on the mission statement. So what we did is we came up with our um, aligned values. And so that was you know, something that we thought, like, we can use this now, and we can you know, share this with all of the ministries and, and talk you know, to them about it. And now today I want to sort of present it to you. And we've presented this before. But the reason for this is we wanted these aligned values to dominate and to, to guide our approach and how we were going to fulfill our mission statement. Obviously some ministries will have values that other ministries don't. For example, the kitchen team would probably have a little bit more value on, you know, cleanliness than junior highs might, you know. And so there's going to be some values that don't go across. But we felt that these seven values, these are seven aligned values would go across the board. Because if we're going to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ, we must be, you know, approaching it together the same way. So here they are really quickly. We will be a church that builds trust. That's not the first value. That's not because it's the most important one. These are just seven aligned values in, in no particular order. But we will be a church that builds trust. Here's what I know about every single one of you. Trust matters to you. You trust your neighbors, or you hope you can. You know, you trust, you trust your, your, your teachers. You trust your boss to pay you. Trust matters. And if you're new with us today... Trust is going to be very, very important to you. Can you trust this church? So our environment will be such that people will know that they can be trusted. This is one of the big reasons why we, you know, take all of our Sunday school workers and they have to go through the plan to protect. 
Every single one of them. You can't just walk into our children's ministry and, and, you know, and be around the kids. And No, you have to go get a police clearance. You have to be interviewed. You have to go through a, 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 you know, a really um, good process in order to be in that environment. Why? Because we want you to be able to trust us with your kids. So trust, we know, is an important part of any relationship. So information that we receive will be handled with care and with respect. Another one, we will take and see every opportunity to share Jesus. We exist for this purpose and we'll make every effort in good taste. We're not going to jam Jesus down someone's throat. We're not going to guilt trip people. But in good taste, we will share Jesus with those who do not know him. We will place value on having fun. It's an aligned value. It's a value that we want every single ministry to have. That we will laugh and we will celebrate often. Why? Because it just changes the environment in the room. We will see ourselves as positive influencers in the community. We are part of the bigger church in our local, you know, um, sorry, let me say it this way. We are part of the bigger church and also within our local community. So this is really important that we recognize that we're not just a church here for ourselves, that we are a church that is part of the global church and we are part of a local community. So we must see ourselves as positive influencers. We will approach all ministry with an all-in attitude. We refuse to do things half-hearted. We will do all that we've been called to do with excellence. And I'll just stop, pause here for a moment. This is why we, we believe in working our volunteers hard. Because here's what I know about volunteering. Nobody likes volunteering if there's nothing to volunteer for. If you go volunteer somewhere and you're like, they're like, well, we don't really have anything for you. You actually feel useless. And so when you volunteer in this church, we're going to ask you to work hard. We're going to ask you to be on time. We're going to ask you to do what you have agreed to do. And, and we want you to do it with excellence. We want you to do it with an all-in mindset. Because obviously we recognize that whether you're setting up chairs or you're, you're cleaning the building or you're serving in the cafe or you're on the board, it's all about the souls of people. And so we need every single one of us then to serve with this value in mind is that we will do it with an all-in attitude. We will strive to be generous in everything. This isn't my number one value, but this is one that comes up quite often. We have been blessed by God and we will be a blessing to others. So when in doubt, be generous. And this, this conversation has come up a few times where someone will call me and say, hey, here's the situation, here's what's going on, I just need some direction. And my comment to them is always, hey, if you feel that you have done due diligence in investigating and processing the situation, be generous. And I can honestly say, over the years, as we as a church have become more and more generous in serving the community, God has blessed us tremendously. And then finally, we will... We are willing to take a leap of faith. We've seen God's providence, and through discernment, we will not hesitate to take a leap if that is where God is leading us. And this is, this is a risky one for some people, but that's truly what we want to do. We want to take a leap of faith, to be willing to say, well, if this is where God is calling us, then that's where we're going to go. So these are our seven aligned values. Every ministry strives to fulfill our mission, and I trust that we will never lose sight of God's incredible love for us. That we are always thankful for the sacrifices that Jesus, for the sacrifice that Jesus made for us so that we could have salvation in him. We never want to lose sight of that.
because I truly believe that as our theme is for this year, in light of eternity, as we focus on eternity, as we focus on leading people to give their lives to Christ, the more that that happens, the more joy we will have, the more we will pray, and the more thankful for we will be as a congregation. This week, Pastor Peter um, sent the staff this photo. And, um, you know, apparently there are more you, um, junior highs in the room than what, uh, what you can see. But he's like, man, I, I didn't even really want to take the picture because the moment didn't seem like I should. But uh, he's like, I didn't exactly take time to really carefully take the picture. And so we were talking about it and he says, the reason I took the picture is I wanted proof. I was like, oh, okay, like, you know, my ears are kind of perking up now going like, well, what's going on, you know, and, he, you know, anyway, I, I kind of knew already what would happen because he sent it to us and explained it to us, but, you know, um, but it's like, what's going on in this picture? Proof of what? Proof of what, you might be asking. Well, it's special when, when just one teenager gives their life to Christ, right? As you can see from the picture, there isn't just one teenager in that picture. There isn't just two. There isn't five, there isn't even ten. Seventeen teenagers gave their lives to Jesus on Wednesday. What an amazing thing. And I told Jake I would try not to cry, because he said if I cry, then he'll cry, and we'll just be one slobbering mess up here trying to lead singing, and, uh, you know, that may not work so well. But folks, that's what it's about. Can I just remind us of that today? That's what it's about. That's why we want to grow. That's why we want to see more people here. Sometimes people have said to me, oh, Ike, it's not just about the numbers. Oh, yeah, it is. Oh, yeah, it is. Because the more people that come, the more here. And we pray and we trust in the Holy Spirit to then at the same time also move in the hearts of people so that more will respond. And if you've never given your life to Christ, can I just say to you that today is your day? And if you want to give your life to Jesus, that you can do that today. But for us as a congregation, may we never lose sight of the fact that God is still transforming hearts. That the gospel of Jesus is still as powerful today as it was on the day that he rose from the grave. That Jesus is still in the work of redeeming your heart. That isn't something that ended when the Bible was done being written. That is something that is still happening to this day. So if you are broken, if you are you know, in a mess, if you are experiencing just you know, despair and you feel like you're captive to your sin, we serve a Jesus who to this day can save you and who can redeem you and he can pull you out of that pit and give you eternal life. That's why we exist as a church. We want to lead people to that relationship with Jesus. Someone once said, with Jesus comes change. And it doesn't happen automatically, it doesn't happen instantly, but your heart will be transformed, but over time you will begin to experience this change in the work of God that He and only He can do in your life. So as we close, I trust that we will be thankful for what God is doing in our lives. So now the question for every one of us is, will we follow? Will we declare his goodness and his praise? So we want to sing this closing song as a declaration. 
to others and to ourselves that we love following Jesus. That he's not a burden to us in the sense of like, oh, I got to do this. But because we love following him, we will go and share this good news with others. And I truly believe that the more we do that, the more thankful we will become. So let's stand and let's worship God in song.